I invite you to Luke chapter 24 for our text today. I'll read, read it after a bit. Uh, titled, I'm speaking under the sermon title, uh, will, be, will, we, will We Be a Church of the Word or Will We Be a Church of the World? Now, I want to share a little history as an illustration. Uh, Adolf, Adolf Hitler rose to popularity and then power in around 1930. And... Um, Germany, Germany had been defeated in, in the previous World War, and then they were treated pretty harshly in the treaties that followed, which bothered the German people a lot. <laughs> and Hitler had this intent of making Germany great again. And so after that war, I guess they had it before as well, but after that war there was a rise in German nationalism, and so it was with the, the message of, of nationalism, love for the motherland, and also uh, the, super, uh, the superiority of the Aryan race. I meant to look up what Aryan means, but it's the German race, that he swayed the people of Germany and the military uh, in a you know, great way, bad way, and in time he also swayed the churches and the church leaders, and I think this was around the theme of, of German nationalism, and many of the church leaders then gave him their allegiance, uh, somewhat willingly, I think, in the beginning, and then really by force, the, the death the death threat was upon him, them if they resisted Hitler and the government and resisted what he was, what he was doing. They would have been imprisoned and possibly put to get to death. So he, he, he convinced them to give allegiance. He also forced them to. But the Evangelical Church of Germany, which I think is a unit, I think I'm correct saying that was a Lutheran church, and the, Catholic, and the Catholic Church, they were the two larger denominations in Germany, largely uh, followed, at least gave allegiance, some allegiance to Hitler. In time, the very dark side of Hitler's intents and policies became, came to light in his discrimination and mistreatment of the Jews. First, the Jews were banned from civil service, and then their businesses were boycotted and destroyed. The government encouraged that. Some churches banned Jews from their membership. And then as time went on, the Jews were rounded up in the cities and imprisoned in the ghettos. And finally, they were sent to the concentration camps and to the gas chambers. And largely... <laughs> The Christian church was silent about what was going on. Uh, how could it be that Christians, the, the, the institutions, and also the people, could Christian people could give their allegiance to this madman? Well, uh, this was part of what happened. The Lutheran church had a very a pro-Nazi bishop. I think he was voted in. I, I don't know this history real well, but I think I'm remembering that he was somewhat handpicked by Hitler. And this bishop and other high officials in the church uh, interpreted the scriptures uh, to fit the nationalistic rhetoric and also the mistreatment of the Jews. So they misinterpreted the scripture to the Bible to fit the love for the motherland, they called it, and also anti-Semitism, which was persecu uh, persecuting the race that put Jesus to death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was the one that 
that at least initially spoke bravely against Hitler's policies. Later, he was uh, more, uh, I guess, had to be more quiet. <laughs> he eventually was hanged for his resistance for the, uh, by the, uh, against the government and its policies. But he wrote about it, and he spoke about it. One time he was speaking on the radio, and, and uh, mysteriously the, uh, the station was shut, shut off, and he couldn't finish his speech. But he, here's something, some of what he wrote about how the church was twisting the scriptures to fit the culture and the reason and the politics of the day. Uh, he wrote that the culture and the rationalism and the politics should be measured by the scriptures, uh, judged by the scriptures, not the other way around of the, the culture and the politics and the rationale uh, uh, squeezing the scriptures to say something that it wasn't saying. So here I'm quoting some excerpts here of Bonhoeffer's writing about the, about the interpretation of scripture. Interpretation is done in such a way that the biblical message is passed through a sieve, sieve of rumen human reasoning, what will not go through is scorned and tossed away. The message is trimmed and cropped and until it fits into the frame that has been decided upon. The result is that the eagle with its clipped wings can no longer rise and fly away to the true element and do its work. It is like the farmer who needs a horse for his fields and he leaves the fiery stallion on the one side and buys a tame, broken-in horse. This is just the way people tame themselves to a tame for themselves a usable Christianity. This is there's. It is only a matter of time before they lose interest in their own creation of truth and then get rid of it. This kind of interpret, so that was his quote, and I'm saying this kind of, no, I'm still quoting. This kind of interpretation of the Christian message leads directly to paganism. The only difference between German, German Christians and, and pagans is one, of, is one of honesty. Bonhoeffer also said the, the German uh, translation of the Bible is uh, is good enough. It doesn't need to be Germanized anymore. So I think we could say that the church, the German church, largely became the church of the world. They squeezed and strained and discarded Scripture uh, so it would, would fit their politics and their culture and their ra- rationalism. They allowed the popular ideas and the politics of the day to, de- to determine how they interpreted the Bible. They clipped the wings of the eagle so the Bible didn't, no longer said what it's, it was really saying. And I think these entwisted interpretations of the Bible helped facilitate the horrors and the atrocities of war and the annihilation of millions of Jews. Hope this bit of history will uh, help us realize how, how important it is how you interpret the Bible. You use bad methods of interpretation, you can make the Bible say most anything. Um, if the Bible is twisted, good can become evil, evil can become good. And I think we see that happening in our society today. I actually, I actually Googled a biblical basis for uh, homosexuality. And um, I don't remember what website it was. I think it was, one of the, it was a, a major denomination name, prob- probably the very liberal side of the denomination and there was a list of scriptures about 
God's love and showing that God was inclusive. There was there were a mention of Bible characters that evidently the writer thought to be gay. And so it was a and did not have any of the scriptures, <laughs> uh, the few scriptures that speak directly to homosexuality. Another word for Bible interpretation is hermeneutics. Um, it's not a word I use every day. But hermeneutics is the study of principles and methods of Bible interpretation. Every Bible reader does every Bible reader does Bible interpretation. Um, we might, may not know it, but every one of us every one of us has a hermeneutic a way we interpret the Bible, we may switch around and uh, depending on what we're reading, of what uh, use a different hermeneutic uh, depending what it is. And especially if we wish the Bible to say something that it's, it's not really saying, then we can use a, a, a bad method of interpretation. So we have these pressures upon us the pressures of the world, cultural pressure, pressure of human rationalization, what's popular in, our, in the day, pressure of politics, uh, the pressure of the current prevalent world views, and they can shape how we interpret the Bible. And I ask the question, uh, will, be, will we be a church of the world, or will be a, we be a church of the word? Will we crop and trim and stretch and discard the Bible to make it fit the views and the ways of the world? Uh, also, it's not just out in the world, but within the church. I use that very broadly, term very broadly. There's also trimming and cropping and twisting of Scripture. Or will we stand true to the timeless truths and principles of the Bible and live, live by them. Have a few more questions just to think about. Is the Bible a document of truth that, that contains timeless principles and commands that are good for all 6,000 years of human history? Or is the Bible an evolving document with, with changing truths and principles so that it will be relevant to the times? Another question, is the Bible relevant in that it speaks truth to the culture, offering right principles to live by, bringing about repentance and righteous living? Or, or does the, is the Bible relevant that it needs to be shaped and cut uh, by cutting and squeezing the Bible into a, the culture's mold? Trying to emphasize is important how we view the Bible and how we interpret the Bible. Will, will we be a church of the world or will we be a church of the word? In a bit, I'm going to list some schools of interpretation, also some principles of good Bible interpretation. But first, look, let's think about a few examples in the Bible about uh, uh, someone interpreting the Bible, and I chose two. One is Jesus, and the other is, is yeah, Jesus, who is, the, who is the living word, and he's the author of the written word, and he has the perfect hermeneutic. <laughs> he interpreted the Bible in his preaching uh, perfectly. He did it exactly right. But first I want to mention Ezra. Ezra is a good example of one who interpreted the Bible well. Uh, after 70 long years, the exiles, some of the exiles returned to Jerusalem in two different waves. And uh, some of them had likely lost their mother tongue and could not read the law of Moses and may not have had a very good acquaintance of the scriptures anymore after those generations. 
And they had come back to Jerusalem. Ezra and Nehemiah assisted them, led them in the rebuilding of the wall. And that's an amazing story how quickly they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem against much opposition. And then all the Israelites gathered in corporate worship. We were talking about that this morning. And men, women, and all the children who could understand. And they had listened intently to the reading of the Bible. The the Bible they had that day was the Old Testament Bible. And Ezra and the Levites, and now I'm quoting from the Bible, read the, the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And the Bible goes on to say that the people wept uh, over the reading of the word. And uh, I believe there was two reasons for the weeping. One was they were weeping in repentance because they saw they haven't, hadn't really been following the word, the law of Moses. And also, I believe, it was a weeping of joy because, because now they heard the truth, and this truth would set them free from uh, from sin. Okay, that's Ezra. Now let's think about Jesus, the living word, the author of the written word, and see how he interpreted the Bible. Uh, and I'd like to read from Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Luke 24, 13. Now that same day, two of them were, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection, but these two disciples weren't yet believing the resurrection. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, and they, but they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, what are you doing, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Clophus asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? What things, he asked. About, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed them over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he would, was the one who would redeem Israel. And what's more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but didn't find his body, and they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are! And how slow to believe all the things that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it, and began to give to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And in their, excite- their excitement then, they rushed back to Jerusalem to tell the, uh, the rest of the disciples, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared into Simon. Now I'm going to read it just a couple verses here. 
further. Uh, as, as they were in this gathering with the rest of their fellow disciples, Jesus appeared to them, startled them, frightened them. And he says, why are you, Jesus said, this is verse 38, why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts rise in your hands? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then he ate some fish to prove that he was real. <laughs> and then this is the verse I wanted to read yet. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything that must be fulfilled, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And that was the scriptures that they had uh, that day, the Old Testament scriptures. And the whole of scripture... And then he goes on to say, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what the Father has promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power of from on, on high, that power was the Holy Spirit. So here we have two sad, discouraged disciples walking the road. Uh, the scripture calls them downcast. And they were discussing the events of the last days, the suffering and deaths of Jesus, the report of the women, the empty tomb, the vision of the angels saying that Jesus was alive. And they were still downcast, and this stranger overtakes them and begins talking to them. Uh, you see, the two disciples had done their interpretation of the Old Testament. It was likely that they knew very well the scriptures that Jesus brought to their attention that day. Um, but their interpretation of the Old Testament must have been that the, the, the Messiah would come and set the Jewish nation free from the bondage of Rome and usher in God's kingdom, and then usher in the kingdom of God. So they were thinking about politics and about a military, possibly uh, a national power that would free them from the uh, bondage of Rome. They, they told the stranger, Jesus, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word, of word and indeed before, before God and all the people. I think earlier these disciples believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but here they were reluctant to call him the Messiah. They called him a prophet, a good man from Nazareth. See, Jesus hadn't, didn't fit their interpretation of the Old Testament. And then the stranger, the Lord Jesus Christ, master interpreter, with perfect human hermeneutic, explained to the two the true meaning of the Old Testament scriptures. The theme of the Old Testament scriptures, which is also the theme of the whole Bible, that the Messiah would come and he must suffer and die before he would establish his kingdom. And this kingdom will be very different than what they were expecting. Jesus, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, later when he talked to the disciples, he said, Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, from the Old Testament scripture to the whole of scripture, Jesus explained to them the meaning of the scriptures concerning himself. The Greek uh, word... Uh, or explained is hermeneo might be pronouncing it wrong I don't know but it, it's where the, the word hermeneutics come from Jesus explained to them he gave the meaning to them of the scriptures and the disciples said were not our hearts burning within us while he, while he was speaking to us on the road and while he explained to us the scriptures 
And did you notice that Jesus sharply rebuked them for their misinterpretation? How foolish you are. How slow to believe. Uh, Surely they had noticed Isaiah 53 about the suffering of the Messiah. But somehow they chose to... to, uh, you know, they chose and understood this, the scriptures about him being a glorious king, but somehow they ignored or misunderstood, neglected the scriptures about the Messiah's suffering. I don't know what I was behind their unbelief, but at least they had missed, missed it on those scriptures. And when the disciples heard the correct interpretation, it changed everything. They were, no, they were no longer downcast. They were so excited. They, they, well, this was nighttime, or did they go in the morning? I don't know. But they, they turned around. Uh, I don't know how long far they were along on their trip of seven miles, but they turned around, went to Jerusalem, and, and they told the disciples that the Lord is risen. They had seen him. The Bible message Jesus gave there, it was Old Testament, and, and, and this is a com- common theme. This is the theme of the Bible. The Messiah will suffer, rise on the third days, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So that they understood the correct interpretation, the, the whole truth set them free. The disciples' sadness turned to joy. And after they received the Holy Spirit, they were ready to go out with boldness and preach preach the word. And I want to say to us this morning, dear soul, if any of us or or if any of you are downcast, uh, and sometimes our feelings do really plunge well below the facts, uh, Jesus reminds us uh, in this account. we see that Jesus lives and is close beside each one that's on the Emmaus Road. Uh, his person and his message are relevant to our situation, and he will continue to stay close beside us to guide us uh, through whatever situation we're in. He says to us, Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. There's another verse I wish to share with you in relation to the matter of interpretation, interpreting the Bible, Hebrews 4.12. There are many verses. I'm choosing a couple more. The Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. A good interpreter of the Bible will will allow the Bible to shape his worldview and alter how he lives. Uh, conversely, a person who is intent on living his own life and doing what's right in his own eyes, if he, if, if he has any conscience toward the Bible at all, will uh, use, a, use his worldly view, the thing he wants to do and how he wants to live, to determine how he interprets the Scripture. Here's another verse. Important verse, all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Bible is good for teaching, correcting, rebuking, showing us what's right, uh, for changing us, <laughs> changing us in the inner man, also changing, changing how we live. That's the way the Bible is relevant to us. So we, we, when we read the Bible, 
uh, we want to understand what it has to say to us and how, that it, how it wants to change us. We're, we're reading uh, out of the Bible, not into the Bible. Uh, we must not read it into the Bible. This is what I want to believe. I will make the Bible say what I've chosen to believe. That's, that's a bad method of interpretation. Rather saying, what, what is the Bible saying and what does it mean to me and how does the Bible want to change me in heart and life? Well, there's several schools of hermeneutics, and this is well documented. This, uh, this might seem a little boring. <laughs> I hope not. You might forget these schools of hermeneutics, but I do want you to realize and think about it that when you read what other people write about the Bible or you hear teachers, that there are calculated ways of interpreting the Bible. And it, 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 people come out and uh, people group denominations, churches come out at very different places on different issues in the Bible, depending how they do the interpretation. So I'm going to mention a few schools of interpretation. Then, I, then at the end, I have a list of good principles of, to follow as you interpret the Bible. Well, there's an allegorical school of interpretation, and these are. There's a history behind these, and I, I'm not sharing that this morning, but this is documented ways of, of interpreting the Bible. The allegorical school of interpretation teaches that the Bible is a collection of allegories, that the stories of the Bible are not necessarily true. They're given to teach a lesson. The, the Bible reader's job is to search out the hidden meaning of the text, the imagination of the re reader is the important thing. The actual words of the text are not so important. Not a good way to interpret the Bible. But there, there, are, there are people, teachers, that interpret the Bible with that, from that school of hermeneutics. Then there's a liberal school. This, this view holds that human intellect and reason selects what is reasonable and accept, acceptable in the Bible and what is erroneous in the Bible. So this is a liberal, ra rational way of interpreting the Scriptures. It presumes that the Scriptures can only be true if it harmonizes with man's reasons and man's understanding of science. So miracles, divinity of God and of Christ, eternity, creation, all these things can't be reasoned out, so they, they are discarded. This school teaches that Jesus was a good man, good example to follow, but he's not divine. Not a good way of interpreting the Bible. Then there's the neo-Orthodox school of interpreting the Bible, and I don't really understand this one very well, but I am going to mention it. Uh, I'm quoting here. Proponents of this school believe the Bible is only infallible when the revelation was given to the writers, the text itself is not infallible, and on the interpretive side, inspiration only occurs when the Bible speaks to you through, through it now. This view denies the Bible as the infallible Word of God and claims it becomes the Word of God when God speaks to man and he responds. Not a good way to interpret the Bible. Okay, there's another, here's another school of interpreting the Bible, the, the devotional school. I think actually we do, we do this way of interpretation, and it's, it's, it's mostly good. This school does ethical and moral interpretation. It is looking for edification and application. This school says the Bible is to be read for inspiration and to look for what, what it teaches about morality. What are, what are the ethics taught? What inspiration can I gain? What is in, in it for my betterment? So it's looking for the ethics and the morality. Morality, ethics, I come using those interchangeably. Looking for good edification, look, looking for ed application. 
And so I, th I think this one is basically good. And, but there can be an imbalance, I think. That is, if you, you look just for the isolated, uh, the isolated uh, principles and you don't consider the uh, big picture of things and cardinal Bible doctrines, and maybe the danger or weakness for us would be um, to be careful to, to not go beyond the text of what the Bible actually says. If, if we strain and stretch to make it give us certain application that we want. But certainly we should read the Bible devotionally. And now here's, here's the most common evangelical method of interpretation. This is kind of wordy. The grammatical, historical, normative school of hermeneutics. And I've said this is the most common evangelical method of interpretation. And here's a quote. I hope we can understand. The meaning of the passage of Scripture is determined by what was deemed to be basic and customary and socially acknowledged um, socially acknowledged designation of terms used at the time they were penned. That's kind of a key point here. The literal sense is the basic meaning evidenced by the grammatical and historical factor, factors at the time of authorship. In this method of interpretation, words matter, Greek and Hebrew meanings of words matter, the grammar of the Hebrew and Greek matter, the history of the setting of the writings matters. The social and cultural norms at the time of the writing matter. And what the text actually says matters. And so you take all these things in consideration and you make conclusions and applications according to what you think the author was actually saying to his culture and times. Do you understand? Do you understand that one? <laughs> the intent of the author at the time of the writing is what's really important. You take into consideration the history, the culture. What was what was the author trying to say at at that time? I'd like to suggest this, that 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 can be flawed. If you we live 2,000, 4,000, even 6,000 years away from, at least from creation. And the writing would be, would be up to four, like 2,000 to 4,000 years. And so if you put too much emphasis on the culture and the history, which I think is somewhat obscure, <laughs> that... Um, you could come up with an interpretation uh, different than what the divine author intended. I hope I'm making sense there. I want, I want you to be aware that when you read, a lot of our reading is done from an evangelical uh, persuasion, like commentaries and articles that we read in Christian magazines and uh, they do uh, and tend to do a very scholarly study of the scriptures, looking for the author's intent at the time of the writing. I would like to encourage us to be also be thinking about that there's a divine author of the scriptures, and what 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 are the timeless principles that he is was conveying in that day, and the timeless principles and teaching he's conveying to us in our day. Knowing this, knowing this type of interpretation, I'll, I'll use 1 Corinthians 11 for, for an example. If you read commentaries about headship and head covering, uh, they do the historical, cultural examination, and they, then they end up saying that the head covering itself is not is not uh, meant for our time because our culture is very different than that time. 
There are different schools of interpretation. <laughs> Let's be aware of it. Okay, this morning, in conclusion, I want, I want to promote a plain and simple, literal interpretation of the Bible. That is, to look for the plain meaning of the text. What does the text actually say? What does the text actually say? What does the text actually say? These are principles for Bible interpretation. Pray, pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate your understanding as you study the scriptures. The same Holy Spirit that inspired the prophets and apostles to write uh, is within our inner being to help us to understand the scriptures. Don't be greatly bothered if you don't understand everything. Approach the scriptures with a willingness both to hear and to obey what it says. I think of the verse where Jesus said, he was talking about his, his own words here, but he says, if any man will to do his will, he shall know the doctrine whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. A willingness to hear and to obey. Obey is, I think, pretty important. If we don't have a willingness to hear, we'll, we can project another meaning into the, the, the verses that we're reading. A meaning not intended by God. <clears throat> Look for the plain meaning of the text. What does the text actually say? What is the obvious meaning? What does the text say about the character of God? What does, it, what does it say about Jesus? What does it say about my world? What does it say about me? How does God want to change me through the text? This is, this is devotional interpretation, too, I realize as I'm saying this. Who does God want me to, me to become? What does God want me to do? How can I use these truths to further God's kingdom? What can I, how can I use these truths to love, love and serve uh, others? Pray as you listen to Bible teachers. Uh, read the Bible without skepticism. Read the commentaries and teachers with discernment. Define the terms. Look up word meanings. Develop a full and balanced view of God. I think this is a really important one in that if we, if we have a certain view of God, it, 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 can, it can color how we interpret the scriptures. I'll use an example that is, I, I think I see this happening. I read about it. I actually read about it in, if you're reading Anabaptist publication these days, like Calvin or Messenger, uh, Sword and Trumpet, uh, you'll notice this, that if you have a view of God, if you struggle to, uh, if you struggle with God's wrath and God's, a God that punishes, um, if it's unthinkable to you that God can, could, will, that God is wrathful and that he would punish someone eternally, then it, it'll, it'll, affect how you interpret the scriptures. Jesus talked about hell more than any other writer. Um, he he taught, taught about hell more than any other Bible teacher. And so if you, if, you can't, if you can't fathom, can't accept that God has wrath and God is a God of justice, justice and God is, will punish then you'll, you'll use that mindset uh, in, in the way you interpret the Bible in those areas. The substitutionary death of Christ is also in question within Anabaptist circles. I don't understand that one very well. So develop a, a balanced view of the character of God. Notice the type of literature you're reading. Is it historical? Is it 
Is it a parable? Is it hypercall? Is it allegory? Is it poetry? Notice who is speaking. Is it Moses or is it one of God's, uh, one of Job's friends who didn't, everything they said wasn't true. It's recorded in the Bible, but they weren't, they didn't have it all together. Is it Solomon, the man of God, or is it worldly wise Solomon? So notice who's speaking as you read in the Bible. I've said this one before, read out of the Bible, do not read into it. Remember that Jesus is central. There are many authors, different themes, but the redemption through Jesus Christ is the central theme. Watch for it in every book of the Bible. Uh, how did Jesus live out the teaching of the light uh, of the Bible? Uh, what, did he, what did he say about war? What about marriage? What about swearing? What about wealth? Um, so notice how Jesus lived. And then when you read, interpret the Bible in light of how Jesus lived. Now, I don't think this is a, I don't mean a feely, kind of emotionally way of, well, I think Jesus would have done it this way. Uh, some years ago we had the, uh, what would Jesus do, a slogan, which, which is really good. But uh, that's not doing away just kind of a feely thing that I personally think Jesus would do it this way. Let's, let's think about what, what did, how did Jesus actually live and how did he actually treat others? Just a few more here. The Bible has a united method, united message. Compare Scripture with Scripture. Think about what the whole Bible is saying. Let the clear teachings clarify the obscure. And I'm suggesting, I'm use, I'll use the example of the exception clause about marriage, which is unclear, and it's much debated what it means. But uh, let the other, you know, multiple Scriptures about marriage uh, clarify that one. Let the Bible interpret itself. In other words, compare Scripture with Scripture. And remember, what does the text actually say? <laughs> will, we, will we be persons of the Word? Or will we be, we be persons of the world? Will Covenant Fellowship be a church of the Word? Or will it be a church of the world? We face challenges to the truth. It comes from the outside of the church, the worldly culture, the politics, the worldview that press down on us. It also comes within, within, the, within the larger church where scriptures are uh, twisted and cropped and discarded. May God give us grace and understanding to do a really good interpretation of the Bible. May we be the salt of the earth. Salt is about taste or about being savory, and also it's a preservative. And I think of meat. We've got a turkey in the cooker at home. Um, it could be salted so it wouldn't uh, so it wouldn't spoil. Um, if you'd add another turkey and just leave it sitting out, it would spoil, wouldn't it? So it has to be to preserve the turkey. There has to be something different than the turkey, and that's where the salt comes in. The salt is a, is a preservative. May we be the salt of the earth. In our churches and also in our society, may, may we be salt, something that makes, that is tasty and savory and makes the world a better place. And also, may we be salt in the sense that we preserve. Uh, we, I believe we're living in a decaying culture and we should want to make this world the best it can be from our, our standpoint where we, we provide the salt of the word of God to preserve as a preservative.
tasty and preserving. So yes, let's, we do live in the world. Let's engage the world. We'll, we'll, we'll be different from the world. Don't be surprised. We need to be different because the word calls for it. Uh, let's engage in the world, just like Jesus taught, to go out into the world, but not be of the world, to be sanctified by the truth. I pray that we will bring spice, the spice and flavor of truth into the world, and the, that also will bring truth in the world to slow the decay that, that sin is fermenting in the world, and that some will be saved out of the world really be set free by Jesus Christ. May God help us uh, to do a really good job of interpreting this Bible. God bless you. Sorry I went over time. Let's let's close with a song. Uh, I'll pray, and then let's stand together. And Coral will lead us in a song. Is that? Let's stand to pray. Father, I thank you for the Bible. We believe it is the it is your word. You inspired the prophets and the apostles, each writer to to write the word. And we believe you want us to come out with the the understanding of the meaning of the texts of Scripture. So help us to do that, Lord. Help us to be honest with ourselves as we read and study. Help us to be uh, discerning as we listen to uh, people teach and as we read commentaries and, and um, uh, writings about the Bible. Help us to have a... Uh, eagerness to know your will and to do your will to apply the word to our lives thank you that we have the bible as a sure guide in a in a world that is um, confusing changing um, many in many ways a dark place but we can we can trust Jesus to see us through. We can trust your Holy, your Holy Spirit to guide us, and we can trust your word. So bless us with a, a better and a truer and a deeper understanding of the Bible. I pray you bless each one. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.